Hello, and welcome back to the Long Distance Love Bombs podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg. My guest today is Doug Evidence, Doug Evidence, Doug Evans, the co-founder of Organic Avenue, a very popular restaurant chain in New York City back in the day. It actually might still be around. I have no idea. He's also the founder of Juicero and the author of The Sprout Book, which is a transformative plan to empower readers to embark on a plant-based way of eating that's low-cost and accessible. I've read The Sprout Book. That is how we met. We talk about that in this conversation. But also, we dive into Doug's past, and he's a really fascinating dude. He has lived a life. He talks about being a juvenile delinquent in New York City, talks about his stint in the military and why he was asked to leave. And he also really eloquently and with a lot of self-awareness describes the life chapters that led him to get to where he is now, which is a sprout dork, a sprout expert, somebody that is promoting kitchen farming far and wide. Doug is very knowledgeable and very passionate about sprouting. And I love it. I love the vibe. He's the one that got me into it. I do it all the time. You will hear me enthusiastically proclaim my affection and adoration for the process of growing your own sprouts in your kitchen. It's wonderful. And also, as a kind of cover my own butt disclaimer, Doug makes a a couple of different points about the efficacy of sprouts, of which I have no idea if they are true or not. But I'm just going to say that the opinions and ideas expressed by Doug Evans do not represent me, Jeremy Goldberg, or long-distance love bombs. Take them at your own mercy. Do your own research. And um, I, I mean that in the most uh, I mean that in the most compassionate and kind way possible. I just don't know enough about this topic to decide whether or not those claims are good or true or accurate. So I loved hearing about Doug's uh, assertions, and I think that they're probably well grounded. I just haven't done the research myself to verify them. So take it with a grain of salt. But one thing I do know is that this man is a powerhouse of knowledge and enthusiasm around the idea of sprouting. We also talk about the idea of food insecurity and food deserts. And for so many people all around the world, they simply do not have access to affordable, nutritious food. We talk about how sprouting might be one quick and easy and fun and practical and delicious way to rectify that. So it's a great conversation. Doug is a gem. He is a character. He is somebody that his enthusiasm for what he does is infectious, and I just adore him and his message and what he's trying to do, and I am honored that he is here and a proud supporter of all of his activities. So enjoy this conversation with Doug Evans. All right, we are underway. Doug Evans, welcome to the podcast. Oh, happy to be here, Jeremy. And uh, this has been a long time coming. And actually, I can say this with complete honesty, but you, Doug Evans, have changed my life. You have altered my diet and the way I do things day to day. So thanks for that. And I'm looking forward to diving into all of that. Yeah, well, makes me feel, I always said, if I can influence one person, you know, then my life would be meaningful. So I feel very, um, very grateful that you said that. Yeah. And you actually slid into my email inbox randomly and said something like, hey, man, can I send you a book? 
And I was like, a book about sprouts? That's weird and quirky. And sure, I've never read a book about sprouts. And then we got connected on Instagram. And here we are. But for those who do not know anything about you, Doug, like, what's your story? How do you describe yourself? Who are you? Yeah, I can, I consider myself an artist. And I've um, autodidactic, so not formally trained in school, but I think very educated with life experiences. I grew up in lower middle class in New York City. Um, I was a terrible student. I was a juvenile delinquent in my teens. I painted graffiti on subway trains. Uh, when I turned 17 years old, I joined the 82nd Airborne Army to get discipline, jump out of planes, run through the woods. Um, I then became interested in graphic design, which was a legitimate form of graffiti. And I worked for one of the top graphic designers in the world for seven years as an unpaid intern apprentice so that I could master some skills while I had to support myself doing side hustles like working in bars, restaurants, nightclubs, supermarkets. And I did that literally until this man died. His name was Paul Rand. He designed IBM, ABC, UPS, Westinghouse, and he did the next corporate identity for Steve Jobs after Steve um, left Apple the first time. And so that was my world. And I was in that world until 1999, uh, when my mother had died of cancer, my father died of heart disease, my aunt got diabetes, and they amputated both of her feet below her ankles. My brother developed type 2 diabetes, became morbidly obese, had three strokes and a heart attack. And that was kind of my come to sprout moment, right? That was like, whoa. Um, you know, am I genetically cursed or is everyone around me just eating a poisonous, toxic uh, life, like um, foods, lifestyle? And so just going back to your New York City upbringing, what was causing the juvenile delinquency or the the vandalism? Like, I think I, you know, I didn't feel... It, you know, I have different theories on it. One is I think there were incon inconsistencies and incongruencies in the house. So I just didn't feel very safe or seen, you know, in my house. Not that my parents, may they rest in peace, not, not that they didn't love me, but I didn't feel very understood or nurtured. So I was looking for excitement. I was looking for adventure. Um, I was seeking the adrenaline rush. Like nothing was more fun than running from the police, right? Or doing something where you could get caught, you might not get caught, like living on the edge. So that was a degree in which I was very comfortable being until I started to see my friends dropping like flies, right? Going to jail, you know, um, dying um, and when I was 17, I had the kind of awareness and appreciation that I was more than this, right? That 
I was more than this and I didn't want to live, you know, that same, you know, I didn't want to die and I didn't want to live like a degenerative lifestyle. And I felt that I was not in control. Like I couldn't control this on my own. So therefore I had to make changes. And the only way I thought of that was to join the military. Like the military was going to be my way out. And so that's, that's what happened in, in a nutshell. Yeah. Were you in a military family or did you have pressure? No, not at all. So this was kind of an out of the blue random decision. I think so. It was, it was, I saw, you know, the movie private Benjamin and the army looked like it could be fun, right? Mash, um, private Benjamin. And then also I felt like I could get the army college fund. So I'd have, you know, a path out. And then I also thought that the army would teach me discipline. And so I was really craving discipline because I had none, like no one could tell me what to do. And I thought the army would provide that. And did you get what you came for? I mean, it was the biggest wake up call of my life. Like, you know, having been able to talk myself in or out of anything all the time, um, but not now here, unable, you know, to even express myself, to explain myself. Like you'd open up your mouth and they'd scream at you, they'd be in your face and it was over. Like it was over. Dang. How long were you in for? I I had signed up for um, three years and I got honorably discharged earlier than that for complexities with my prior life prior to joining the military can you do you mind expanding on that i'm just intrigued like yeah so um when i was in the army i was so like first day second day third day i wanted out like i thought like i was done like i did not want to be there i wanted to go home and they told me there's no way out that once you sign the paperwork, you are an indentured servant and that there's no bars on the windows. And if you leave, you know, you could leave, but then you'd go AWOL and then you'd be a fugitive and eventually you would get caught and then it would be really miserable. So they're like no way out thing. So in those first days in the military, I made a commitment that I was going to do my best. Like I was a grown man, I was just gonna do my best. So I just sucked it up to whatever they told me to do. And they said, run one mile, I would run two. I would not be just a kiss ass, but I would be overly enthusiastic over the top. And after 13 months of going the extra mile, infantry training, airborne training, combat engineer training, special forces, explosives and demolitions training, unit armor training, 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 and taking massive amounts of initiative and demonstrating leadership, I got nominated uh, to go to officer candidate school, which was a huge shift, like a huge shift, because it's very rare that an enlisted soldier 
kind of crosses over into that that realm of being an officer. Normally, all the officers either are are college educated, they went to West Point, um, they did ROTC in in college. um, And so it was very rare that that happened. But I guess my commanding officer saw initiative in me and felt that I would be the role. And lo and behold, a few weeks later, um, the commanding officer calls me in and reads this like list of activities and sheets and things about my past. Now, some were mine, some weren't. And as we're going through the list, did you do this? Yes. Did you do this? And then said, did you disclose these prior offenses to your, uh, when you, when you signed up to your recruiter? And I said, absolutely. And there was no outstanding offenses. There was no warrants for my arrest. There wasn't even open parking tickets. But the fact that the recruiter said, oh, you were a juvenile, your record was sealed, none of those things matter, was aligned with the recruiter's goal of filling boots. So, and for 99.9% of enlisted troops who would never get a top secret security clearance, who would never go to become officers, it wouldn't have mattered. But my initiative, which caused me to um, excel, caused a deep dive into my past, which I thought was clear and sealed. But it turns out that a sealed record doesn't mean they seal it up with tape and file it away. It means they have a seal on it that says juvenile. And there's no such thing as a sealed record, you know, with with the military. And there were no, like I was saying, there was no egregious offenses. These were all trivial. And the commanding officer said, I have orders from the commander of the army to discharge you. And I said, for what? He said, fraudulent enlistment. And then he proceeded to read that fraudulent enlistment weakens enlistment standards and rewards dishonesty. And I said, well, what does this mean? He goes, you will be discharged within the next two-week period from the military. And I could not contain my joy and excitement to be getting out 23 months early. So I'm keeping my poker face, hoping that he doesn't change my mind, hoping he doesn't get a a congressional pardon so that I could stay in longer. I'm like, oh, I'm so, look, whatever you have to do, I accept my fate. And the irony And I know you love irony, Jeremy. He says to me, I can give you one of three discharges and a um, dishonorable discharge. I can give you a general discharge or I can give you an honorable discharge. And I'm like hoping to get like the general discharge, right? Realizing like, yeah, I did mess up. You know, I made the mistake. Maybe I was led down the primrose path but I made the mistake. I'm not a victim. I made the mistake. And he says, I'm going to give you an honorable discharge, Private Evans, and I'm going to give you an Army Achievement Medal for your meritorious service under my command. 
um, and pack your bags, eat as regular, do not um, come to any formation, any other activities. You are officially um, relieved of any duties and any responsibilities. So the next two weeks, you know, I was just hanging out, waiting for my final orders to come to 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 take me away. Wow, man. That, that seems like a huge transition there where you thought your life was going one way and then you have one conversation and suddenly it's a hard right turn and everything's different. Yeah, that's what happens. It's called life. <laughs> and so life happens. You get out of the military and then that's when you began that graphic design chapter. Exactly. So that's when, you know, I went to Barnes and Noble, um, think about what to do. I'm working now in bars, restaurants, after hours clubs, like anything to make a living. And the idea of going to college without the army college fund and just felt like, ah, just doesn't feel like I had felt that in that 13 months, even though, you know, I wasn't at war, I wasn't deployed overseas. It felt like hell. And I felt much more mature than the average freshman college student, even though I was in the same age group. So it just didn't feel like something I was aligned or motivated to, to participate in. Yeah. And so then how did you go from being graphic design intern man to healthy, nutritious sprout dude? Yeah, that's a, it's a great, it's a great question. So here I am, you know, working in graphic design, working with computers, my life is going terrific. And then I watched my aunt get diabetes and they chopped off her feet below her ankles. I watched my mother, you know, drop 50% of her body weight and then die from stomach cancer, you know, within months. I watched my father um, get a, a minor um, back procedure and, and then an epidural and then had um, a heart attack and be misdiagnosed in the hospital, you know, basically left to die in the emergency room because, you know, that's what happens in emergency rooms. And then I watched my brother basically eat himself into obesity type two diabetes. I think now he probably has type three diabetes, early signs of dementia and Alzheimer's, and then have three strokes and a heart attack. And so I'm watching all of this around me while I'm, you know, comfortable 35, 36 pounds overweight, eating anything because now I'm successful so I could afford to go to a steakhouse, to go to a seafood restaurant, to go to an Italian restaurant, to eat fast food when I wanted fast food, to eat desserts unlimited. And so I'm eating all this stuff and I'm operating on adrenaline. So I don't really feel like lethargic, um, but I'm operating this way. But then, you know, after I buried my father, um, it felt like, wow, what's going on here? Like something feels like wrong. Like maybe I'm genetically cursed. Like maybe I'm going to die like them. And then random 
encounter with my first vegan friend, and I never even heard the term vegan before, she said, oh, Doug, it's not your genes. It's your lifestyle. You are living a toxic, carcinogenic, heart disease-laden lifestyle. And if you don't change, you will end up like everyone else in your family. But don't think that it's your genes. It's your lifestyle. And so within a two-week period from that encounter in April 1999, I went from eating anything, literally anything, and the more gnarly it was, you know, the better. I remember, I remember going to the carnivore restaurant in downtown um, uh, Nairobi and eating like a piece of gazelle, like literally in the carnivore restaurant. And to then saying, okay, vegetarian, vegan, raw vegan in a two-week period. And the more I got into that, the more every bit of it resonated, like the information just resonated as the truths that that I I wish I learned and read earlier in my life. Hmm. And so, and that was 23 and a half years ago. And I said, okay, I'm done. I'm no longer gonna do this. And then I was still kind of working in the graphics world. And then I don't know if you've done psychedelics, but I kind of had this like ego death moment where um, I could no longer do work for things that I wasn't like aligned and finding meaningful. Like, you know, there are some companies that are like outright, like bad, right? Just bad companies selling toxic things, right? You know, called tobacco companies or alcohol companies, right? And then there's companies that I would consider just more neutral, like the AT&Ts and the Verizons of the world. Um, and then there were companies that, you know, back then there weren't triple bottom line, B Corps doing things. And I just felt like, ah, uh, oh, like, it was like, I didn't want to do that anymore. Like I wanted to take what I had learned and share it. And so I, I had a partner then who was vegan and we formed, you know, this little company called Organic Avenue in New York to create products that we wanted to eat, right? Where everything was fresh, ripe, raw, plant-based, um, made with um, fruits, vegetables, seeds, nuts, seaweed, sprouts, fermented, cultured items, bottled in glass, no additives, no preservatives, no fillers, no food coloring. Like our world was anything in our store I could eat enthusiastically and I could feel comfortable sharing with anybody. Like there was no excuses. And, okay. And so then you just decided to start a vegan, is it a yeah, cafe? Raw, raw vegan, like little juice bar cafe. And then we we opened up 10 of them in New York City called Organic Avenue. Oh, shit. And so that must have felt 
scary, I imagine, to to go from a graphic design world to then I'm opening a vegan cafe in New York City. No? no there was no fear whatsoever. There was just like a, this compulsion of like, oh, this is so important. I will find my way to do it. And I like solving problems. I like mystery. So I would just do whatever it takes in order to make, you know, to get it done. Yeah. You just felt completely aligned and on the right path. And this is where I'm supposed to be. Is that fair? Correct. Gotcha. Okay. So you started a sort of little vegan empire in New York City with these this chain of Organic Avenue, it was called? Correct. Okay. So you're... So you started to imagine make a name for yourself as a healthy, conscious, you know, speaking in the nutrition and diet space kind of area. And then how did that go? Why? What happened next? That was great. I feel like this is like I'm I'm just like watching new episodes of Doug Evans. Like, okay, I love the military episode. That was cool. And now we got the vegan episode. So the next episode was really, was really good. Um, you know, we sold the business, um, profitable, um, successful acquisition. All of our investors made money. Um, I made some money. And, you know, then I went down this crazy, wild rabbit hole um, with Silicon Valley, which would be like literally a Netflix story in and of itself, like the story of Juicero. And, you know, where... Juice Guy goes to Silicon Valley, raises $120 million to create a $700 juicer for rich assholes. And you don't need the juicer at all because you could squeeze the pack by hand and the business gets composted, you know, within a year of launching. So, and every bit of information, you know, that caused the demise um, of the business was all like part of um, representative of the toxic media culture. Gotcha. Like I was canceled for making a juicer five years ago, six years ago, before the, the cancel culture, because um, people didn't want to see a successful vegan, you know, making a juicer. So I became a target. And the they made up these stories of what was that you could squeeze the pack by hand was as absurd as saying you could take an espresso pod and pour hot water over the pod and get a cup of of espresso and not realizing that the original Nespresso machine cost $1,500 when you could be putting coffee beans in boiling water. Or you could take like my lovely organic industry of all nations hoodie, and you could wash this in the sink with less soap, less water, and faster than using a washing machine. So there was nothing to it other than, you know, the media controlling a a false narrative. But that experience in that chapter, which I've talked about on other podcasts, which was the best experience of my life, like how privileged was I to come up with an idea, to hire a few hundred people, to launch a product that sold out the first version, sold over a million packs, 
the business was growing 20% month over month over month, hit a million dollars in revenue in our first um, few months of launching. It was all phenomenal. And then only to see that in the world um, that there is a big brother. There is like an ability for um, organizations on the other side to collaborate and conspire to you know, cause things that they don't want or they don't believe in or they don't understand to disappear. And I, you know, when I was in the military, you know, and I was a graffiti writer, I'd been punched in the face, but I never experienced quote unquote white collar Machiavellianism. Like just wasn't even in my realm of consciousness. Like you think these are good people, everyone's good, people want to tell the truth. And you know. Like, I'm not saying there's evil in the world, but there's a lot of pain in the world. And there's a lot of people that operate not from the heart, not thinking about the consequences of their actions, not thinking about, you know, deep understanding and truth seeking. So so that actually um, created the opportunity. It gave, liberated me from that business, the demise of it, to go to Burning Man for my first time, to explore psychedelics, whether it was um, ketamine or 5-MeO toad or psilocybin, what have you, and which kind of widens the aperture of what was going on to shift from victim into victor and from being able to see with any adversity, within every adversity lies the seed of a greater equivalent benefit. And that seed of greater equivalent benefit was me moving to the desert. And you see over my shoulder, I'm in the Mojave Desert. And I'm here and being in the desert, um, wanting to be raw vegan, made me realize not only am I in the desert, I'm in a food desert. And that I needed to figure out a way to sustain myself. And that way turned out to be sprouts and sprouting and seeds and began a whole new chapter of, of my life. And you've, you've lived a life, Doug Evans. I'm living a life. I mean, I'm still a young guy. I'm 56 yeah. years old. So I got a yeah. whole life ahead of me. Yeah. So you go to Silicon Valley, have this amazing, successful company get sort of canceled publicly. And I imagine that public quote unquote failure or collapse was in itself full of gold nuggets and lessons and expansive growth opportunities. And then you go to Burning Man, do some drugs, have some realizations. I call it medicine. Medicine. Yeah, fair. Um, do some medicine, move to the desert and start sprouting. And then you end up writing a book about sprouting. And is yeah. that that take us to the present moment approximately? Well, the book became out of the 3.2 million books on Amazon, the sprout book hit number 69 of all books on Amazon. It became the number one best-selling vegetarian book, vegan book, low-budget cookbook, fiber book on Amazon. And 
So well beyond the publisher's wildest expectations. For me, I thought it would I thought it was a good book. I I wrote the book. It was a really hard journey to write 60,000 words, 288 pages. That was really hard for me, but the words were coming out of me. I would sit in a disciplined way and write 500 words a day, banged out the book. I interviewed um, 10 of the top medical professions, professionals in the United States, Dr. Mark Hyman, Dr. Oz, Dr. Dean Ornish, Dr. Axe, Dr. Joel Furman, Dr. Khan, like all these people. Now, interesting, some of them were plant-based. Some were functional medicine. Some, like Dr. Axe, wrote the keto book. And the thing that they all had in common were sprouts. And the more I looked into sprouts, the more I go down the sprout rabbit hole, just the more blown away I am at the power of nature, the power of seeds, the power of sprouts. And I got the entire download for the sprout book, like in one like soaking session in my hot spring, looking at the stars that could be summarized to three things. Number one, sprouts are vegetables where most people think of them as a garnish. Number two, sprouts were vitamins and minerals. And number three, sprouts were medicine that you could treat most major chronic and acute illnesses with some form of sprout therapy, that broccoli sprouts contained uh, a compound or the precursor to a compound called sulforaphane, which has been proven to kill cancer cells, to detoxify benzene from the lungs, to create heat shock proteins in people suffering from autism, which lessen the symptoms of autism. And there were, the list goes on and on that sprouts, due to their high fiber content, low fat content, are an incredible food for weight loss, for regulating insulin levels in diabetics. So I went down this world from being kind of an evangelist for raw veganism to going deep into the science of nutritional biochemistry all around seeds and sprouts. And that's how I spend the greater portion of my day. It's like learning more about the healing benefits of the sprouts, the nutrition benefits of the sprouts. I've got, I bought a Kindle just so I could download the white papers and read them on the paper white and just go deeper and deeper. And I invited Dr. Jed Fahey, the father of broccoli sprouts, to be the head of my scientific advisory board. So I'm going deep into the science and the data myself and Dr. Jed and uh, my associate in the Netherlands, Jack, wrote a published, our first peer-reviewed paper on sprout safety that came out last November. So we spent a year writing this paper, studying the data because there was a misnomer that sprouts weren't safe or there could be E. coli or salmonella. And so I wanted to know what the truth was. So, which is why Dr. Jed and Jack downloaded all uh, data from the CDC for the last quarter century for illnesses, outbreaks, hospitalizations, and deaths 
across all categories of food to come to the um, pleasant and desirable conclusion that sprouts were as safe, if not safer, than any other food that you could eat. Oh, man. That's amazing. Yeah, thank you, Jeremy. Yeah, and I remember really liking your book and being sort of annoyed that I liked it so much. At the same time, I was like, I'm reading a book about sprouts, and I'm loving this, and I'm also um, questioning my own... uh, I'm questioning my own knowledge. I'm questioning my own actions. And I'm intrigued to try this. And it sounded fun. And I call it uh, kitchen farming. That's the way that I describe yeah. it to my, to my following of like, oh, I'm I'm kitchen farming. And I have a jar. And it's, Doug, I know that you know this. But for those listening, it's so easy. I'm a very lazy man. It is like the easiest thing in the world. You just scoop a couple spoonfuls of seeds into a jar with a screen. And you fill it with water and empty it a couple times a day. And it lives in my dish rack. And I have uh, vegetables at my fingertips. And the yeah. first time I did it, I was like, I had this eureka moment, which I'm sure you've had. And many people have told you this, but I had this eureka moment of like, why is everybody not doing this? this yeah, that's the moment. Sense. I don't yeah. get it. I mean, it was really interesting, but it's also, you've come a long way also. Hey. Because I remember, you know, an exchange that we had in um, August of 2021. And uh-huh. I wrote, you're, you're saying, I got my first jar in the kitchen now. I'll be spreading the word. And I go, let's, that's awesome. Let's do an Instagram live at your convenience. And you wrote back, mung bean success. I actually don't love doing live. So we'll humbly pass on that idea. Yeah. I was like, nah, I remember that. And I remember feeling bad, but I also remember feeling good that I was honoring my my boundaries of like, I'm I'm not excited to do an Instagram live with this dude and I need to say so. But since then, to your credit and to your point, I have, like I bought more jars. I get excited shopping online, the different flavors of seed varieties. Yeah. Okay. My girlfriend into it and she loves it. And I have been preaching pretty regularly on Instagram about it. And then um, I can't remember why, but you popped into my feed and I got really excited. And I was like, you know, Doug would be great for a podcast, not an Instagram live, but like, let's actually record a podcast. I'd love to get to know him better. And let's put the word out about anything that you want to talk about, really. And so it's been a, a long winding route for me personally, but... There's no going back. Like, I can't not do it now. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's so, the fact is like, and maybe I'll take a moment to define sprouting, right? So there, every plant on the planet um, begins with a seed. And that seed is naturally preserved and can have a long shelf life for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And then nature has a mechanism to trigger germination, right? To remove the enzyme inhibitors, the trypsins, the phytic acids, and stimulate the growth of that seed into a vegetable. And that germination sprouting process occurs with water. And so if you add too much water, 
you actually will drown the seed because you need to have enough water to wear, to trigger the germination without drowning it. And so it's a process that you go through and then it needs more water to continue to grow. But the fascinating, amazing thing about nature is that the seed will turn into a sprout, will grow 10 times its size without soil, without sunshine, without fertilizer, and it's doing it in days. So it's like nature's cheat code because I was able to live on exclusively sprouts for like 30 days at a time just by having seeds, having water, growing them, and you're getting incredible nutritional diversity that every single benefit of the whole food plant-based diet can be achieved through the consumption of sprouts, that you get every micronutrient, every phytonutrient, every prebiotic, antioxidant, bioflavonoid, polyphenol, um, amino acid to form complete proteins. They're all in sprouts. I, lo I love that. I have no idea what some of those things are, but my takeaway is they're super healthy and they're super beneficial and they're super easy to make and it costs hardly anything. And to your point there about the germination process, I think it's really fun. Like there's something yeah. really awe-inspiring to chuck a bunch of seeds in a jar and then in a day or two, have it be filled with life and you get to watch them grow. It, it's just it's very surreal, but also very rewarding, I find. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's, it's it's really a miracle. And my mission, you know, is to educate, enable, and support people on this process because we have major global issues right now. Like from, we've got, aside from uh, debatable climate, you know, controversy, right? Deforestation is real, right? Deforestation is real. Um, animal agriculture is consuming 10 times the amount of plants than humans are. So for every one calorie of plants that are grown, that are fed to humans, 10 are fed to animals for the purpose of meat production. That it takes about 1,500 gallons of water to water the cow, water the, the, the vegetation that they feed the cow for this multi-year period until the non-humane slaughter of that creature. And 1,500 gallons of water, conservative estimate, where you can grow a gallon of water will grow one pound of sprouts. Like it's that extraordinary, the use of efficiency the fact that you could grow them without soil or sunshine is also extraordinary and that they can grow in almost any environment. You know, the warmer it is, the faster they grow, the cooler it is, the slower they grow. But pretty much I'm now seeing, you know, my social media, which when we met um, back in April, 2021, I had very few followers. I wasn't on Inst I wasn't on TikTok. I had a few thousand followers on Instagram. And now I have over 150,000 followers on Instagram, over 185,000 on TikTok. And I've been on podcasts 
you know, that have probably had well over 10 million downloads at this point. So people are really resonating with this message. And so that's one, right? We've got the we've got the environmental part. We also have the fact that do you know how many people die of starvation annually in in this in our world that we're living in in 2023? Uh, way too many is is my tens of millions of people yeah are dying annually. And I don't know if you've ever been hungry, but dying of starvation is a shitty death. Right? It's really shitty. And a lot of people, you know, so call it 10,000 people a day are dying of starvation. In the United States, we have almost 100 million people that are pre-diabetic. We have two out of three people that are overweight or obese. We still have heart disease as being the number one killer. We have all sorts of cancer down to level of specificities that are beyond, you know, uh, calculations. And most of these deaths lifestyle are lifestyle oriented. Uh, so when I look at the U.S. dietary guidelines recommend seven to 13 servings of fruits and vegetables every day, a serving being like an eight ounce size or a fist, if, if you're eating that correctly, there's really no room for anything else, right? And their guidelines allow French fries or ketchup to be in it. What I've done was I have really high standards. I want things to be really fresh. And sprouts are really fresh. Like if you go buy produce, where are you physically now, Jeremy? I'm in Squamish, British Columbia. So yeah, so you're in British Columbia. If you get produce from your health food store or your supermarket, it could be a week or two weeks or three weeks old, depending on where the farm was, where the harvest was, et cetera. When you're growing sprouts, you're eating a fresh crop every day. I mean, that's how amazing it is. And instead of shipping around produce that is heavy, that requires refrigeration, that is decaying and dying um, on the way, you could buy seeds that are shelf stable. You can add the water, you can nurture it, and you get the benefit and you're the recipient of that fresh produce. Yeah. It's funny. I when I first started doing this, I remember saying to my girlfriend that the sprouts were almost too fresh and too crunchy. Like I had to get used to them being what they should be because the right. ones I would buy in the store are a little bit softer. They fall apart. They're wobbly. And it took me getting used to freshness. It was like a growing pain, so to speak. Yeah, I love freshness. Yeah, it's. Man, obviously I'm converted, you're converted. Hopefully it comes across to the audience that this is worth, what What, what would it take to get going, you know, $15? Yeah, and, even not- less. You know, you could start with something along, along the lines of getting any mason jar, getting cheesecloth and a rubber band and buying some seeds, you know, sample pack. Like you could get started really inexpensively. And if you pool together your resources with your friends, you could be buying bulk. I mean, there's any way to do this, but that's what I'm seeing this whole momentum of people like being tuned in, turned on. And like, you know, if you if you were to buy, I could show you, I buy my seeds in um, 35 pound buckets. 
right? 35 pound buckets. And for you Canadians, um, that's probably 14 kilos, right? You're getting big buckets that, and they're really inexpensive. So you can give out the seeds and everyone can participate, you know, in the, in the growth. Yeah. I remember doing the math on it the first time I did it because I was still skeptical. I was like, all right, this Doug Evans guy, he sounds smart, but quirky. And I don't know about this. And I ran some math and it was like, oh, this batch of sprouts that I would pay. And I do pay $6 for in a, in the supermarket cost me like 15 to 25 cents or something yeah. insane. And it's, yeah. Yeah. And well, it's that- in my kitchen and it's better and fresher, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, look, this is 2023 is the year of the sprout revolution. Like this is all happening right now. And I love that you're, you know, tuned in and turned on to this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fun, man. I've I've told friends about it. I've got friends doing it. I'm like in my social media, I'm asking people like, are, do you kitchen farm yet? Why aren't you kitchen farming and trying to spread the word? Because from my perspective, it's all upside. It's all pros. There's virtually no cons, you know, it's literally two minutes a day, maybe once you've got it going. It's nothing. Yeah, it's very quickly. I did a video the other day where I'm holding the baby in one hand and I nurtured four of my sprouting jars, the big 64 ounce ones with the baby while I'm doing the video narrating it. And it took me two minutes to nurture them. Yeah. Nurture is such a great word too. I'm curious if you could say a little bit more about this idea of food insecurity or food deserts, because I think that's a big deal that isn't getting enough attention. Uh, yeah. If you think all- about the flyover states, the the major cities, that there's people that are on food stamps or government support, and there's also people that are working and the cost of organic produce and even regular produce is going through the roof and produce is very seasonal. So you're, you have many parts of the country in the world where they don't have access to fresh produce. So it's all being flown in, trained in, trucked in, and therefore it's expensive. And then um, if you think about, I remember when the CEO of McDonald's, Um, and this is in my book with Dean Ornish um, recommended putting salads on the menu at McDonald's and they were charging $6 for the salad, but 99 cents for the burger. So you could get like 150 calories of the salad for $6, or you could fill up with 800 calories on the burger um, by getting that. And so what happens is the salad is nature created. And I'm sure McDonald's created a nice toxic dressing you know, to put on it, to make it taste good. But, you know, the fact is the the meat, the burger, the two all beef patty, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on the sesame seed bun is really engineered to make you highly addictive, to blow your dopamine and serotonin receptors in the brain and make you want to keep eating and eating and eating. And what what my life is, I eat sprouts and fruit and I do no no processed carbohydrates, no animal products, no added oils, no added salts. It's like when I'm eating food, like I'm tasting the food and I could identify every sprout easily with my eyes closed um, because of the texture, the flavor, the subtle aromas. 
And so like, I'm in tuned with this sprout level consciousness. And what, what I see is most people are like eating out of addiction and they're eating to get full and then they overeat because the food has the added salts, the oils, the sugars, the fats, the hydrogenated oils that basically, you know, people aren't overweight because they want to be overweight. They're overweight because of a systemic issue. And it's not the lack of free will. It's just a systemic issue of that's what's available. That's what's hungry. That's what they've been brainwashed to do because of commercials. It, when they eat it, it tastes good. And then they can't stop eating it. So of course, they're going to overeat it. And we're going to have the condition that we're in right now. Yeah. Well, I just love what you're doing, man. I really yeah, do. Thank you so much, Jeremy. And I'm glad yeah. you're into it. And this was so much fun. And thank you for giving me the platform to talk about myself, to talk about Sprouts. No yeah. gotcha questions. Um, yeah, oh, there was a couple at the beginning. I felt a little uneasy asking, but I really appreciate you sharing your past as well and some of your failures, quote unquote, and some of the challenges that you've overcome. It's been It's been a real treat getting to know more about you other than the wacky sprout guy that I see on Instagram. Um, so I really appreciate that honesty and openness, man. And what's next for you in terms of uh, like, what what's your edge at the moment or what's something you're excited about? I mean, I, I'm literally uh, 2023. I, I am not um, that physically um, active. So I do a little running. I do some things like I want to be in top physical shape, you know, not from like, six pack abs and bodybuilder, but I want to be very limber. I want to increase my yoga practice. I want to strengthen my lungs. I want to be more physical with body exercises. Yeah. And I want to have more conversations and more enablement, you know, about how to get more people sprouting. Like it's just such a uh, obvious thing. And I feel that it's my calling and I have the voice and I have the experience to navigate this. So that's what my compulsion is to do in a very healthy way. Love it, man. Sounds like you got to get uh, Mike Poser out there and give you some workout tips. Guy seems. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've been hanging with Posner the last three weekends in a row. Nice. It'll rub off on you. And I think to your point about the sprouting, one final sort of comment was, I I remember being so annoyed with the state of the world and the state the state of our society and culture that it's not commonplace and everywhere. It was one of those things that kind of really grinded my gears, so to speak. And so uh -huh. happy to support you, man. Happy to spread the word. I'm gonna keep doing it in my little bubble. But uh let's start the revolution together, man. It sounds great. I I appreciate it. Well, Jeremy, you're doing great work and thank you for reaching out and, you know, call me a friend and feel free to reach out anytime. Definitely, brother. Thank you. Okay. That was Doug Evans. As mentioned, he has a book called The Sprout Book. I've included a link to that in the show notes. I've included links to his Instagram if you want to get involved and follow along. I know he's also on TikTok. You can find him there. And yeah, thanks for being here. I adore you. Adore you being here. I adore you listening to the sound of my voice right now. You are one of the good ones. And please do help spread the word. Subscribe to the podcast. Send it to your friends and your family and the milkman and every person you've ever met or known or loved or cared for. That would be wonderful. Thanks. 
and I will talk to you soon.